Well, and it's funny, many people think mushrooms are legal now. They just think they can go somewhere and get mushrooms from a therapist and get this treatment. And no, they're actually still very illegal. There's, you can lose your license very quickly if your board, your college, whatever, finds out that you're doing this underground. So it's not like, yeah, everybody run out and do this work. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. David Harder. How are you doing, David? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite topics. I love talking about psychedelics and everything around it, especially the business opportunity, the highs and lows and the roller coaster that the industry is, I think, on. But we're going to talk. We're going to, that's my filter there. So I mean, we'll talk about that. But you're the founder and CEO at Atma Journey Centers. So I like to level set right away. Let's jump in the old elevator. Um, what's Atma? What do you guys do? What are you all about? And let's pick it up from there. Yeah, Atma started a couple of years ago after numerous years of trying to find their way through and it's un, not legal to do this work. So we talked about it a lot, started Catalyst Conference, not illegal to talk about the stuff, um, but anything else, any practical outflowing into a business was really difficult. So finally, when it looked like the government was opening things up, uh, business partner Vutran and I started out with together to basically the original vision was for journey centers which is why our name would be retreat centers to actually offer this and realizing very quickly it's going to be years before that would become a reality um and along with that i've been in education for many many years before this work and have a passion for teaching and so that led all those things led to well let's teach therapists because we believe that's going to be the bottleneck in terms of therapy providers for this work when it becomes legal so our focus very early on shifted to 100% focusing on education, teaching, helping people feel supported as this comes into legal work. So right now there's a lot of ketamine. Uh, so we teach about ketamine too in our programs, but it's uh, primarily moving towards that psilocybin, MDMA, other psychedelics. And how do therapists get ready and feel supported to offer this to their clients or to people that come in? So that's Atma, Atma Journey Centers. Oh, so a, a journey, a journey unto itself. Not to, sorry, yeah, it <laughs> not really to play is. on words here. Yeah, it's not to play been. on words. Totally. So many questions, but I want to just pick something apart out of the, right out of the gate, or like to do this work. When you say that, what is that? Because like, let's just dive right into purpose and kind of the meaning and maybe why somebody got into this. We can talk about where we thought it was going, and then the government maybe slowed things, and we'll talk about the business cycle of uh, of regular regulatory. But when you say do this work, unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, well, psychedelics is uh, probably most people listening to this at least have some clue or ideas of what it's being researched for right now, which is primarily <laughs> if they don't, health. if they don't, they're going to very quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of a lot of work in mental health, depression, psilocybin are often uh, the trials and the work that's being done in terms of research. Um, so the work right now is either ketamine clinics where they're offering ketamine for mostly depression or it's in research and trying to find a way with health canada or other countries to get this to a legal place where it can be used for mental health addictions ptsd so the work is primarily as a tool for therapy although my dream is that this goes beyond that and it's actually being able to be uh, spiritual enhancement or cognitive expansion and learning to see the world from a new lens in terms of how do we change this place or how do we work with the planet how do we uh, solve issues of of nature um, connection with humans so these kinds of things i believe psychedelics can go past just the mental health baseline that we're trying to get everyone to in the current trials and research around psychedelics so the work right now is mostly centered around that mental health stuff 
uh, work, which is why there's so much uh, emphasis with therapists who are working with folks that are really struggling right now, especially post-COVID. Uh, so that that training piece um, for the work, as you're asking about, is all about a huge spectrum. Right now, it's in mental health and addictions, but that I believe is going to move past that. In the mental health and addiction, I love the connection to spirit. We'll talk about that in a second because there is very different schools of thought. I've you know met different individuals that work from a medical perspective, where the mental health side and you know uh, the resistant depression and the fact that hey, if everything we had was working well, we wouldn't have as many people struggling. And you know, there's that kind of overly simplified the mental health and that angle of going, hey, we're trying to help this. Is that also just a, maybe a safe or a more easy road for the the establishment to go down because it's something that we already categorize and it slips. I've been to some of the ketamine clinics and it's very therapeutic environment where I've met maybe some practitioners that are that are involved off the grid or maybe off the mainstream. And there tends to be more of a spiritual approach. And I do feel there's an interesting balance of the scales or the tug of war that's happening between what you hinted at, which I think is the, our connection to spirit versus like, nope, this is medical. This is a treatment. We've assessed you with a problem and now we're going to prescribe something. Those feel like they're still very, one feels a lot safer for the establishment and one feels a lot more connected to the spiritual community that is, yeah. is very much out there. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think the conundrum is often it's um, researchers, they draw that line and they go down the line of how to, what is the FDA or the Health Canada, what are they going to accept? But when you get them off script, most of them recognize and embrace the spiritual side of these medicines. Uh, there's very few that don't. And I've been having fascinating conversations with people that are really high up in the academic New York University uh, trials and uh, Johns Hopkins folks. And these guys have been around this for a long time. They know these medicines. They've seen it. And one of them uh, said in, in this interview I was doing that there's no way you can do work with psychedelics and helping people with mental health and not have it affect you spiritually. And that was really fascinating to me. It goes beyond even the medicine internally for myself, taking it and understanding what that's doing for my psyche and my spirit, my emotions. But even working with other people, I would totally concur as watching other people go through transformations and come out after four or six hours with just a totally different perspective on whatever it is, their own uh, spiritual being. It really does impact you as a, as a space holder, guide, sitter, therapist, whatever it is. Was that a role that you've played before? Like, is, we're going to pivot into like the business of this and the economics of it, but I'm still always very curious, the root, the why, the passion for yourself. Was this something that you were have been involved in? It's it's what I'm hearing in, in your, in your tone and the way you're referring to things. That's something you were very much involved in personally as someone who helped and participated and, and was involved in this before it maybe became more of a quote unquote business opportunity. Yeah, totally. It was a passion project came into it because mm -hmm. it impacted my life many years ago. And, uh, uh, just wanted to be able to provide this for other people coming from a church background and the whole thing is helping people spiritually. And so, and then discovering that there's a tool out there that will do that. For <laughs> I, love, my, I love that. For my own spiritual what? what? Pardon me, wait a second. There's there's yeah. a way to kind of ha biohack this process, not to, not to throw a buzzword in there. <laughs> exactly. And so then I started looking around, who does this, who offers this, where can I go to find somebody that in a shamanic spiritual way will, will provide this, this space. And it just was impossible to find in Alberta. And so, um, it was, um, Finally, at desperation, we just started researching, uh, what is this work? How does it work? 
what medicines, what is it used for, how do you do it properly. And so fits and starts learning as we went for creating communities, doing retreats, uh, using underground therapists and other underground therapy options to access. I do appreciate this was a bit of an off-grid journey before it became more of an on, I don't use the word mainstream because it's not, but more recognized by the establishment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very, even five years ago, I could not get a therapist, psychologist to talk to me about this. They just wouldn't, wouldn't open the door. And now there's literally hundreds, thousands on our mailing list of, of psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, nurses, uh, frontline workers of all kinds that are not just talking about it going, how do I do this? And many using a harm reduction model of actually providing it for people. And saying, yes, take the medicine. I'll show up after. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to source it. I'm not going to do anything that could jeopardize my license. But I will work with you to process this with you. Because I appreciate that there's an opportunity to actually truly, if we get back to helping uh, helping people on their journey, like if this is a tool that does that, then the, the kind of was, why would we restrict that? Uh, I'm going to say this knowing that it's kind of a foolish statement, but is, is there a little bit of like, you know, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come again? And again, and again, <laughs> like this is not like, I love when you talk about, oh, this is a new thing. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> and if you read the, even some of Michael Pollan's work about you know his recent book, where he really goes through the journey of like, we've known so much about this for so long. And I, we won't get into why the quote unquote establishment or the anti-war movement or so many things that happened in the 60s and 70s that just shut the door. But to act like it's a new revelation, am I oversimplifying to say that's just simply not true? <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we've discovered, you know, fire again. Yeah. <laughs> like, and next, next, we're going to have this thing called the wheel. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like round. Yes. Yeah, no, it's yeah, a, okay. centuries, decades, or generation after generation have been using these tools, initiations, and uh, as shamans going through it and seeing other people's journey. The originally the shamans wouldn't give medicine they would take it and they would take it and, and be the and be the guide for the village yeah, for the, exactly. the tribe so, of the village yeah and all so many different accounts around the world of using altered state altered consciousness work to to transcend and so yeah it's it's it, it's kind of hypocritical for us to say we're just the the renaissance no it's coming around again and so how do we do it in a good way now and are you seeing, do you feel, and this is maybe we're getting to the, well, there's a foreign line between qualitative and quantitative opinions anyway, at the best mm -hmm. of times, but do we just simply have a generation of people now that are in positions of power and positions that they can change laws, that they can change regulations that were there, they saw it and maybe they've been mm -hmm. biding their time or for them, it's not a, yeah, no, I was exposed to this at a young age. I wasn't, now I'm in a position to actually maybe create yeah. change or help people. I'm not that scared of this. It doesn't scare me yeah. as much as I want to approach it, but now I know how to, we still have a system that we need to play with, right? Well, and talking to people in Health Canada that have relatives that are going through some of the things we're helping people with, with our psychedelic treatments, they're like, you can see it in their eyes. Like it's not just, this isn't just a job anymore. This is how do they use positions of power. And so, Obviously, there's all kinds of regulatory boxes they have to live in, and it can be still frustrating. But I sense more and more, the more I get to know people in these, like you say, positions of power, that they're humans, and they, they see the need. They, they have friends that have depression and terminal illness and all the things that psychedelics are being proven to help with. They're not, they're not robots. Like these are humans that go home to their families too. And so you're right. And like you say, I think the, the 60s, 70s, like what would that put people in positions of power? 50, 60, 70 year old people 
that are in those power positions, most of them had their experiences when they were in college or even later. And maybe some, I believe many of them doing them now. Yeah, uh, just on the down low because they really of course. You know, mm-hmm. can't talk about it. So I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've experienced this more than I have, but the amount of like, even in the last three to five years as someone who's always had a healthy relationship with psychedelics, it's I've moved from more of a, I used to joke, psychedelics for me when I was younger were going out. And now as I've gotten older, it's all about going in. It's a completely different journey, <laughs> so but true. it comes up in dinner parties, business conversations. I'll, I'll say something about psychedelics in an executive group that I'm in. And a couple of them will be like, Hey, Hey, can we, can we, can we talk after, can we talk after? <laughs> and just in the last it's 36 months, that has yeah. completely changed to like yeah. my, my coach is one of my business coaches. She's like, well, I've got three or four clients that have all similar to you and nobody names names have all gone and pursued this. And it's become a huge part of the way that they plan, the way that they center themselves. All, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's accelerating, but it's, that's also the challenge cognitively. Once you become aware of something, you then start to see it everywhere too. Yeah. <laughs> but in Calgary, like it was six, seven years ago, we started a discussion group just meet in our condo and we'd have people over and like pack the condo. We finally had to move out of the condo because neighbors weren't very happy. But we, just talking about where does this go? How does this work? People would go to Peru and come back and be completely gobsmacked and going, I don't know how to process this. And they'd find this community. We'd find each other and ha- kind of help each other through these processes and find some therapists that were actually willing to to help provide counseling. And it was, it was fascinating. But then it was so underground. And now I talk to so many people and they they say, yeah, I've been working with this for 10 years. It's like, where were you then? Like, but it's finally they're allowed to talk about it. Finally, we're able to come to the surface and say, hey, here's my freak flag. And it's actually not that freaky. And, and fly, yeah, and it's actually, there's, there's a bigger group over there than, than you think. I love the yeah. pact to what you just said, like the people go to Peru and potentially have a certain experience. Um, then they, but integrate, these are not one and done. These are not, to me, quick fixes. These are, there's nothing mm-hmm. easy about some of these experiences, but the, the integration, why I love your model so much is the education and empowerment around, okay, what are we going to do to support these individuals? Sure, you have a mm-hmm. psychedelic experience. It, you know, from your, I'm assuming there's a big part of that. Integration is so critical. And I think sometimes I talk to people like, oh, I just do it. And that's the thing. I'm like, no, no, no. You do it to open the door to the thing <laughs> and, yeah. and vice versa. Like that can depend on your experience and everyone's is unique. But how much for you do you see like this really gaining traction mainstream once we get this integration model? I don't want to say right, but maybe better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, it's probably going to be done really badly in some places. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like yeah. anything, it's human, right? So you're going to get doctors that are abusive, and it's not really, it's not limited to the psychedelic space. It's everywhere. So there's going to be those stories. But I really feel the more like it's just fascinating talking to people that you think would just be all up in the science, and yet these are such caring human people. Like Dr. Anthony Bosses does palliative care trials, and he very rarely has a conversation that it doesn't get emotional and how impacted he is with his, with the work of helping people find that healing. And so you're right, the integration model, I think the preparation is as equally as important. Uh, the projectile at which you, <laughs> you aim that rocket and then uh, therapists can have a massive or counselors or friends can have a massive impact on how effective that trip actually is going to be as opposed to, oh, I heard mushrooms help with depression and pop five grams. Um, so much different. <laughs> uh, than, no, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. And you made many me people shudder. Are. Many people yeah, are because they're not legal and they're like, I'm so desperate, I need to do something. And so yeah. they find these, because they're so readily available. 
you just pop online and find dozens and dozens of shops that will ship that is crazy door. how that's come up in the last couple of years of like i was trying to friends like oh where did you oh goes, so i just got online and delivered to my house it's like a, 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 that has seems like it's just accelerated again feels like overnight like a lot of things you become aware of them you're like whoa like and you know one site goes down another one pops up so accessibility seems to be not a barrier this it's someone like well how do you get these aren't they illegal i'm like i, I don't that yeah but i don't think that's that doesn't feel like that's even a real barrier anymore so no, now I we mean, need to talk about this powerful thing that you have access to and maybe not having the information or the i like what you said though this is not these aren't solo experience they are when you're in it but the people you surround yourself with or some what i've seen the network the community the sense of you're not in it alone nor nor would you want to be because it is about community that's an interesting aspect of psychedelics that i think sometimes is different than you know the one-on-one -on -one way we've this individualistic mindset we've grown into in our world psychedelics that kind of f fractures a bit in my mind i don't know i'm getting mm -hmm. a bit philosophical here with my statements <laughs> You can't not with psychedelics. Yeah, <laughs> touche. It's a philosophical tool. <laughs> and now, a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening. And now back to today's good old fashioned chat. Let's talk a little bit about like the the business model. So you decided to go, hey, obviously I loved it. I Thank you for being so honest about it. This was our passion. We did this because we knew it was beneficial. We, were, we put it out there and a group and a community started to form. But there's a big difference of going from a community meetup group, not to minimize it, into actually we're going to start a business and we're going to get this thing going. So was this also... Was there a cycle there where maybe did we, the business community, think that this was going to maybe follow the cannabis route, maybe accelerate quicker than it has? Like, kind of walk us a little bit through the journey of like, we're going to get this thing going. And they're like, oh, geez, the government's changed the rules yet again. <laughs> For sure. Like 2021 um, was a watershed. Well, 2020 even was when this thing really took off. And a lot of the public companies that you saw rise up and really quickly just explode into the space. Big banker money coming in, investor money, um, very commercial. And they were mostly cannabis guys that were starting these things. I was gonna say, that does sounds yeah. like clearly a runoff. Uh, if we're gonna talk watershed, it's a runoff from the cannabis flood of, a lot of there was a lot of money made very quickly, uh, almost overnight really in a three to five year period. Yep, yeah, Compass, Atai, um, many of them. Mm. Maps been around for years and years and years as a not-for-profit. Yeah. Uh, through that whole time, 
uh, saw a bit of a bump, but now they're still going. And I just, you know, Rick is doing such a good job there. But it definitely was, as you described, um, it was a rush in. A quick pump it up and dump it. And there were many, many dollars made and lost. And unfortunately, there was a lot of companies like us that were came in as we saw it actually becoming possible to get legalized uh, and really struggled to raise the capital that we needed to keep going. So our model is, well, if investors aren't interested in this space. Let's create a model that actually pays for itself and makes money, um, not a ton, but can, can, can sustain so that when this is legalized, A, we've now trained hundreds of therapists that are going to be ready, more ready for this work. I don't know if anybody could say they're ready for this. <laughs> it's a never-ending journey. But then also a company that's going to be poised and on the edge to actually be able to open up options for people to take the medicine in a good way that's not just medicalized. Like, how do we marry these two and how do we keep at the front of this thing and help shape the the, the direction it goes? Because I believe just a medical clinic with eye shades and, and headphones and, you know, the classic model, it's great, but there's more, there's so much more, like so much that we can learn from Indigenous uh, ways of being with these medicines and plants that if we just reduce it just to that one model and even people that have done these clinical trials would most of them agree with what i'm saying because there's so many more things like a mushroom journey in real life doesn't look like that it just doesn't you know a person sometimes yes they're laying on the couch and they're just like sedentary and they're going through their inner journey and it's peaceful and it's beautiful but sometimes they're screaming and sometimes they're yelling and sometimes they need to be held and sometimes they just it's just not it's not a cookie cutter method of treatment like you see in a clinic's office yeah Uh, yeah and so this is one box and it will all fit into it it is absolutely not that (laughs) yeah it's so interesting. I love the I love the pivot. Okay, hey, we're going to this thing. Okay, well, it's not legalized. And did that was there a belief that it was going to be legalized faster, and then that belief changed? Like, was there, or was this always going to be a journey, and people still just jumped in really quick? Maybe, like you said, I don't want to say pump and dump, but there was a lot of like, let's make some quick money and let's move on. Or was there kind of a change in the in the in the blowing of the wind of like, hey, we got a couple years. This is legalized. To like, oh no, no, we got six or eight or ten years. Like, was that a real yeah. shift as far as just Definitely. what we thought was going to happen? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then okay. you saw the money follow that shift, yeah, where it course. just withdrew and pulled back and went into other areas because there was no there was no real uh, sign that they would be able to sell your shares. That's practically how people saw it. Yeah, yeah. Is that I need to be li- I need to be liquid. So let's get yeah. it, like run for the hills. Yeah, I got yeah. It. And was that the so government we, just kind of changing their tune or was that the industry perceived one thing and then reality showed up? Like, was there a legislation that was supposed to be X but became Y? Well, for sure. Like the, the Theracil Section 56 push early on 2020, that was like, boom, all of a sudden, everybody thought it's open. And then we applied, we did about 20 Section 56s through ATMA and there were for palliative care um, and a lot of optimism that this would get easier and instead they shut it down. They, they clamped it shut and opened up the SAP, which there's only been about 50 SAP uh, approvals in a year. Okay. And so you, 50, what, sorry, what, what's an SAP approval? Not to get special, lost in acronyms? Yeah, no problem. Sorry, acronyms. Uh, of course, they, they yeah, totally. <laughs> we all know them in, in our own little circles. Of special, uh, special access program. So you apply 
for a drug that's on a scheduled list. Yes. And okay. under special access, the government gives you permission to access that drug through a doctor's application. Yeah, and, so and that's a one that's a one to one. That's an individual application. Yes. Okay. Which is and, really how cannabis kind of got started and then moved boom to next thing we knew it was recreational, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Well, cannabis went to, to the route of the you had to go to a doctor and doctors had the the power to just say yes you can get oh uh, okay drug. okay versus having this to apply one, on your own i understand okay this ahead. one has to go you have to go to your doctor together you apply to health canada and then you wait for the approval and right now they're only approving palliative care for sap uh, okay so we haven't seen a real opening of any kind of mental health access except for trials which is that's why we went the route we did which is a, a clinical trial for therapists in training how to access medicines and so our our question which trials always have to what's your question for efficacy what what does it work what is it good for is does it help therapists with their additional stress and workload from covid and so we're looking oh, at that as a study oh. but a real motivation heal, heal, the, heal, is, heal the healer <laughs> totally and our real motivation mm. is train the healer experientially to understand how these medicines work. So that when they're sitting in these difficult journeys for people or blissful journeys, either way, they understand yeah. kind of what's happening and they've, they've experienced it at least once themselves. Uh, but like you said early on, you said something about opening the door to this room and it's not like now you know the room, <laughs> you just <laughs> no. cracked the door open. And so <laughs> one journey in, in a psychedelic, especially with like a mushrooms, a psilocybin journey, that's only your first one. So we're providing yes. that opportunity to at least there sit is with many, many, many to... rooms. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're interconnected through wormholes and all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> curious, completely subjective question: Do you, as a practitioner, do you have to? Have, can I be a, a successful practitioner to sit with, guide, or be there for someone going through this journey if I had not experienced it myself? And that's an interesting world when you get into the world of medical and looking at things like, no, I don't have to have have had this disease to be able to help you with your disease. But we're talking about something very different here. Uh, kind of thoughts, and I know that's a, probably a very subjective, and I've read different articles that debate it, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually leaning more to one side of yes than no, but curious what your views mm-hmm. of that are. Well, you just had this discussion with one of our our teachers for the advanced course and his take is i'd much rather have a really good therapist than some guy who's taking psychedelics so (laughs) there's that point and i don't yep yep. yes i agree with that but my thing is and uh both (laughs) i'd love i was gonna say i would take i would like to choose both please i want yeah i think people that are going to be the most effective with this medicine are people that have a relationship with it themselves and not just a one and done and just they have a relationship with whether it's psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, DMT, 5-MeO, it doesn't matter. If you have never experienced that medicine and you're you're watching somebody else go through it, it's like literally you're in a different room and you're not with them. And that, that caring, loving presence, can it be effective? Sure. I mean, it can be effective to go in the woods and drop five grams yourself and have this amazing transformational experience too. I don't discount any of those. But we're talking best practice. Absolutely. I 100% believe. And that's why we've gone to so much length to provide an experiential part of our training program to therapists. It's not because it's it's fun and sexy. It, it is, <laughs> but it's really, really hard work to get a clinical okay. trial approved. And we've spent so much time and money to get that approval that, uh, that because we believe it's so important. 
I, I appreciate that. The relatability of it, I think I was watching some interviews with people that have done, had done palliative, I think it was John Hopkins, and they were interviewing them about their experience. And I'd watched, them, I'd watched the film, then somehow watched it again six months later. But in that time, I'd had personally a 5-MEO experience. And all of a sudden, I'm listening to their interview going, oh, whoa, I, I understand now what you're talking about. Like, I thought I got it before, but I, I did. I just watched it and observed and, and took it in almost academically. But then all of a sudden, when I watched that same interview over again, six months later, having had a different experience on my own journey, which I'm always quick to share with people and just talk about. But I was like, oh, 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 now, oh, I understand now. It was, it was amazing, the shift. And I just caught myself all of a sudden just empathizing, connecting with that individual, sharing their journey at such a different level. And I didn't see it coming. You know, when something catches you by surprise, it's sometimes it's the most honest. You're like, oh, oh, shit. Like, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, this means something very different now. And anyways, sli sl slight aside, but that I had that experience. And it really kind of, it, it stepped me back on my heels in, in a very different way that I just wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Yeah, we did the phase one trial in August, and uh, many yeah, talk to me about the trial process and what's going on there, because like, that gives me a lot of hope that we're making ground here. <laughs> yeah, well, we did a applied. Oh man, when we first started out, we applied for the phase one as soon as they told us section fifty sixes were going to be closed for anything other than palliative care, and then it went shifted to the special access program. Um, we applied for a clinical trial because Health Canada kept saying very clearly. Please take this to clinical trial. We want the data. We don't want a repeat of cannabis because we never really found out what cannabis was going to be really good for. And because the trials weren't done and because it became legalized, there was no motivation to do clinical trials. And just putting, kind that of genie was out of the bottle, basically. <laughs> it's gone. Exactly. And so they said, we don't want a repeat of that. Let's look at how do we use clinical trials for psychedelics. And so they've been pushing hard. Uh, so we we followed that call and we we applied for phase one, which is safety trial, which is very difficult to get applicants approved because any other exclusionary um, criteria, like being on SSRIs or having schizophrenia in your family, there's a lot of reasons why we had to turn away a lot of people. We got 14, did the safety trial. Many of them had done psychedelics. Some had never done them before. And that was just such an eye-opener. Just the healing that happened among that group of 14 people uh, the testimony coming out of that was so powerful. And I loved what uh, one of them, actually somebody else that took an underground therapy that came to us and said, this has changed how I practice in my talk therapy with patients. My empathy levels are through the roof in ways that I'm now finally able to look across and see that person in a different way because of the psychedelic journey that they went through. And so for therapists, not even in just being able to provide the medicine when it becomes legalized, but just being a really good therapist, I can't, I can't encourage enough for people that are in this people work, helping other people through their processes, that these medicines just open up ways of being an effective and compassionate, caring therapist in ways that are, it's, it's hard to put your finger on. Interesting. So you guys did that as your first trial of 14 and now yeah. you're moving down that. So is that a process of like, once you've done that one, you could do other ones? Just again, I plead ignorance yeah. in terms of how this process works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of not the typical process because it's not a typical drug. So typically with a drug, pharmacy comes out, pharmaceutical comes out with a painkiller. 
it's like a aspirin, but it's new and novel and it's going to do something much better, whatever. It's got to go through, uh, first of all, preclinical testing to make sure it's actually safe on animals in different ways uh, and just pharmacologically making sure it's sound. And then going to human trials, which is phase one safety, make sure there's no adverse effects, make sure nothing happens that's negative. And those are usually fairly small, 20 people often. Uh, and then moving into phase two, which is efficacy. And so efficacy is, does it work? And typically efficacy is under 100 people. There's like varying ranges of of numbers of participants. And we're like, we're, we're doing this so we can train therapists. So we got to shoot for the fence. How big can we make this? And so originally we were applying for 1,000. We dropped it to 500. And we have a, a really brilliant research uh, person that writes our applications, actually two of, two of our staff. Which is a skill unto itself, right? The application writing process. I am not that guy. <laughs> That's not my you, you nor I, uh, David, you nor I. Yeah, so many boxes and, and details to, to think about. And so there's like, well, let's try. Let's put it through as a 500 participant trial and see what Health Canada says. And they came back, not even a question. We had all kinds of other things we had to refine and, and answer back and make sure safety and all these things were done protocol-wise. But the actual participant number, they basically were saying, we are backing you in this training program. And they've actually said publicly, there's trials that are helping train therapists, which referring to our trials. And from an ethics point of view, you're really, that's, it's two totally different things. You can't use trials to train, like it's just not, but that's how they want to get, they're looking at it saying, the pressure's on, the public is giving us a lot of pressure to get these medicines through, and you guys are applying for a trial, doing what we've asked you to do, and yes, now go do this thing, give us the data, but also use it to train your therapist. That's not being said publicly. Of course, I was gonna say, that's in the informal, so yeah, words, I, I get it. Yeah, by their actions, that's what they're giving us. So now the phase two trial is to prove efficacy. We're actually working with uh, a drug manufacturing company, um, and there's some really good ones in this space. There's even one here in Calgary, Cygen. Uh, but Filament has been really supportive in our phase one. Uh, Optimize Health has been really innovative and doing some amazing things. And so there's some optimism that we feel like we could be maybe a year, 18 months away from going back to Health Canada and saying, they're safe, they're efficacious. We don't need to go to a phase three, which is a really broad trial, which is where MAPS is at in the US with MDMA for, for PTSD. And FDA came back and said, we need you to do a B version of this. We need you to do it again, which is a lot of money, but they're in the in the process of getting that wrapped up. And then it can be a, given a DIN number, a drug identification number, where then it can be used in prescription for people to take this therapy. Then it basically can be inside the system that's already there, basically, right? Then, so we have optimism to think we may be a year, 18 months away from that kind of process of, of, okay. being, of happening. Which then and when you when was, you say you said it was fil filament was the company and Cygen too? filament health Cygen Optimi uh, we're, these we're are companies talking, that actually produce the substance right for anybody who's produce, listening kind of because yeah. where do we get it you're not you're not getting it from your your guy on the corner you're nope. going to an organization that's got a lab environment that yep. can have a very standardized and is that and I would I assume in those cases because I know Cygen those are those are um, synthetic. Uh, Good question. Substances, yeah. correct? With Cygen, yes. Uh, LSD, mescaline, MDMA, uh, psilocybin. And there's one other, I think 2CB, I'm not sure. But they're doing quite a wide range. Uh, in, I think they in are doing 2CB as well. Yeah, I think they are. Which is a fascinating drug. We could have a whole podcast on that one. Um, that was from a different phase of my life. But yes, I've not, I've not, <laughs> I've not got to meet it again in a different mindset. But anyways, we'll save that one for maybe over beers, David. We'll talk about that one. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> the nexus. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
so anyway, there, there's they are uh, lab-based uh, molecules that they're creating. It's iGen here in Calgary. Filament and Optimi are a different breed of cat. They're actually creating extraction from mushroom grow. So both have a grow situation where they're growing mushrooms. Uh, Optimi is a huge lab down by Princeton that is um, growing all kinds. They've got a, a vault of strains of mushrooms, probably the biggest in the world now. I'm not sure. Interesting. Uh, where they're, they're extracting growing. it from the actual organic cell. Exactly. And so they can do a psilocybin, excuse me, extraction or a full spectrum extraction. So in essence, you're getting the whole mushroom in a capsule. It's not dried biosubstance, but it is uh, extraction with albeocysteine and there's other chemicals that are involved in a full mushroom experience that many would argue just using psilocybin isn't the same as taking a raw mushroom. Uh, well, that, there's an interesting mushroom. debate around, well, what part, who's the hero in the story, but who, what are the supporting actors when you start talking about the synthetic versus organic? And some are not been, I, I've identified to be inert, but yet they're in there. I've gone down a few rabbit holes of YouTube. There's, anyways, there's like anything, there's endless YouTube rabbit hole if you want to go down. You touched on something earlier around, you know, indigenous teachings and the fact that this has been part of so many cultures for so long. I've had a few guests on the show and I've had lots of debates around, um, well, if it's synthetic, what about spirit? What about, you know, we'll use 5-MeO, you can do synthetic, you can do the toad, but then you run into conservation issues, you run into environmental like concerns of these, these substances being exploited in a way that they're not renewable and sustainable, that it's very unhealthy for the, those, those ecosystems. But yet I've had some practitioners like, well, no, but if you go synthetic, you're missing the spirit of what's present, which is such a big part. And it's an interesting debate that I don't think there's a clear left or right on it. I've just certainly stumbled into it on a few different occasions. Thoughts on that or perspective, perspective around the difference between synthetic and organic yeah, and it's tied to spirit maybe i think a lot of snobbery exists on both sides <laughs> like we can't we can't dose if you're using raw mushrooms you know it's got to be dosable which is fair you know yeah going to, how to, how uh, to consume it yeah yeah and so that that argument i i can understand i would lean towards the natural side i would you know but then what is natural lsd well you're going to find it is found in nature yeah. they actually found ketamine in nature growing on a mushroom which is really interesting. Of course, uh, they hang so, out together. Of course, they're friends. Of course, they <laughs> <Sorry>. are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. Oh, interesting. So yeah, no, because the, there's some of these that I look at them as chemicals in, unto themselves. That yeah, how else LSD, would I want my LSD yeah. created than in a high quality lab environment? <laughs> so I, I think the snobbery both sides need mm. to just kind of cool the jets a bit and, and realize <laughs> that if if psilocybin raw psilocybin or pure uh, chemically made psilocybin is going to be helpful for people with mental health. Why would we not adopt that? If we've done a trial or we've done a study or we've just done even anecdotal evidence of hundreds of people that says mushrooms is much better than just psilocybin, then why would we not move to that? But let's, let's, do we have to have this all or nothing kind of mentality where I've had people tell me if it's not a raw or if it's not a natural plant medicine, it's not, it's not beneficial. It's like, mm, no, I can't go down that path. I've had if a it's for me. Yeah. Say that whatever helps the patient is what I'm yeah. going to get access to. And that that's more important than this other camp uh, that's still yet to be proven out from anything I've read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet learning from indigenous teachings and how these medicines can really be beneficial in shamanic and circle and in how they're used for centuries. We need to spend more time there.
and not mm. just patronizingly, you know, from a colonized point of view. But <laughs> yes, really, thanks for really, thank you for clarifying that. Honestly, you know, asking to listen, not asking to hear what you already think you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you reaffirm my my yeah, opinion? Yes, my my bias, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and be careful of my fragile ego while you're at it. Um, but also, wouldn't it? I'm imagining if I'm looking at a clinical trial environment and I've got to go to Health Canada now and say, hey, this was the substance I used for these trials, the, effic the, the ability to validate and, and be consistent with that versus maybe an organic, like I do appreciate there's, we are playing into a medical system that needs to know that you know those 500 people received a, the same substance and delivered in the same way. And you think about the, or, the organic side, that can not always be like someone who's grown up in drug culture. You never know what you're going to get sometimes back in the day when you buy from the guy, you know, I've got a guy, don't always get great things. What, what is that? And I think that freaks a lot of people out that I know they're like, hey, I'm curious about this, but that part of that, what is maybe the underground drug culture? I don't want anything to know about that. That actually scares me, which maybe rightfully so. Well, and people say, well, mushrooms are mushrooms. You can tell it's a mushroom, but I've actually heard button mushrooms sprayed with some kind of drug and sold as magic mushrooms Ugh. or LSD tabs. Oh, gross. Fentanyl. Gross. Yeah, exactly. Or LSD <laughs> tabs actually laced with fentanyl. Um, so it's not like because you can see it, it's not white powder, it's going to be safe. Uh, yeah, we need yeah, to be yeah. much more aware of the potential. Well, and that's what uh, we did. How do we make it safe? How do we make it exactly. safe for people? Because when there's people out there and that are going, I need to try something. I'm, I've tried it all. I'm at the end of my rope. COVID, I think, accelerated a journey where I do appreciate and I always choose to find every silver lining I can in COVID because what else are you going to do with it? But the awareness around mental health and the awareness around suffering alone and the amount of people that I know in my circles that some have psychedelics in their past, some of them don't, they are so open to trying new things because they're just the status quo of their current mental state, even though they quote unquote are successful, they're just not feeling fulfilled and not feeling satisfied. And I think COVID has just brought that to a head, which I, I think is great because if we don't, you can't fix the secret, right? Old joke. <laughs> So your so clinical trials when do you so you've got approval when do you start our training starts January 6th for the advanced program psychedelic nice. assisted training and okay. then our first cohort will be January basically January February March they'll be finished the didactic and the learning and the quizzes and all that stuff online yep. and a bunch of live self-care stuff we're incorporating into it as well and then the trial uh, first cohort will go through in June uh, so and those are going to be in small groups 12 okay. to 21 kind of small uh, cohorts that will really dive into the medicine work together. They'll be in triads, one person in medicine, two of them sitting, next day they switch, next day they switch. So wow. they have three wow. medicine experiences, two as a sitter and a guide, and one as actually experiencing the medicine. Um, and also with trials, there's exclusionary criteria that some won't be able to apply because of schizophrenia or something in the family. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those, we're allowing them to go through the whole process and they'll sit in the guide, but they just won't be able to access it themselves. Oh, I appreciate and, that you're not, sh that it's not alienating completely. That's great. I'm really glad to hear that because they and still then we want encourage to, yeah. them, go to Peru, go to Costa Rica, <laughs> find, <laughs> find your place to do You didn't hear yourself. it from me, but there are other places that you can go. And yes, I do. Exactly. I, do I do appreciate and that. And they're legal. I'm there. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, that, yeah. Thank you for, thanks for clarifying because yeah. <laughs> some of my audience might want to know whether it's legal or not. Some of my audience yeah. couldn't care less, but that's, that's a different, that's a different well, and it's funny, many people think mushrooms are legal now. They just think they can go somewhere and get mushrooms from a therapist and get this treatment. And no, they're actually still very illegal. There's You can lose your license very quickly if your board, your college, whatever, finds out that you're yeah. doing this underground. So it's not like, yeah, everybody run out and do this work. 
Uh, we're not there yet. There's nothing more dangerous than familiarity with something to make it think like it's different, right? Oh, I'm hearing (laughs) everyone's talking about it. Doesn't mean it's not, doesn't mean, yeah, Yeah. you can still get your head. I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yes. (laughs) Well, on a regular basis on Netflix, like how many, how many, how many movies on psychedelics can, or, you know, for fabulous fun guy or whatever it is, Paul Stevenson is crazy. Mushroom hat. Um, for, to get 500, how many do you need to start with? Like talking about exclusionary, but if if it only excludes people from actually doing the psychedelic experience, they can still train it. That mm-hmm. probably makes that a lot easier to kind of fill that fill, fill that room, if, if you will. But it doesn't sound like you guys are having any challenge finding therapists that are interested in learning about this modality. It's exploding. I mean, the uh, competition's yeah, exploding too with so many training mm. programs. There's some really good options out there. But um, I don't think any providing the experiential like we are. Some uh, encourage overseas go come back and then we'll continue the training uh, but to actually provide it here in Canada with each other as therapists it's kind of a unique offering we have and we're what really, an incredible really community that. that you you know the, the the at minimum the outcome of that is this incredibly connected interconnected community yeah. of therapists that are out there to help people yeah because when you share a journey like that with somebody there you, there's a bond that gets created just because mm-hmm. of shared mm-hmm. shared shared adventure <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to call it um could, are these, um, are you limited to Canadians? Like for this, no. it's Health Canada. Are people coming from everywhere and anywhere for this? Okay, so you're yeah. not geographically bound from, a, your no. customer base isn't tied to Canada. Let's put it that way. No, and like a big thing we're pushing or encouraging is the Oregon model, which is mm. uh, they've opened right up to a high school diploma, can take a 120 hour course and now offer in a clinic in Oregon if they've checked oh, all Oh, I didn't boxes. know the details of that. That's interesting. Yeah, and they're using raw mushrooms. It's not uh, synthetic. It's not chemical. It's They're only allowing raw mushrooms, which is really the opposite of what I thought would happen and what it looks like Canada will do. So that's an interesting side trail too. But uh, people or therapists in the area and even in Canada can send their clients down to Oregon to get this treatment and come back. And so therapists and here that are trained yeah. in psychedelic therapy and understand screening and intake and and integration, like we talked about earlier, and really know what that process is, they can help their client go through that whole process, not provide the medicine themselves. And maybe some don't even want to ever, even if it's yeah. legal, because it's a day, you give your whole day to that one client. So they can send them down to these kind of places that offer this starting you know, in a month or two, that's legalized. So they're going to be starting to open these clinics up next year. Um, and so that's part of our training initiative is how do we prepare people for that? Or you get a client, you're a therapist in Calgary or Vancouver, wherever, and a client comes in and says, you know what, I was just in Oregon and I had this experience and I don't know what to do with it. What do I do with this? I saw God and she had six heads. Like what, yeah, yeah, this experience that... that <laughs> That just totally blew their concept of reality away. And now this therapist who understands at least a little bit about this this medicine work can then help that client go through that process of integrating that. Interesting. And I, I can only assume that more and more of those conversations are going to happen. Uh, you know, with you've got yeah. someone in your life that you trust and like, hey, I just did this thing. Maybe you let them know before, maybe you don't. Uh, but, you know, can they yeah. help you with the integration? Because you're right. Yeah. God with six heads really can really can shift your perception of the world. And whether that's something they did like in Peru, Costa Rica or somewhere other, else that they got this, or they did it in Oregon in this kind of model, or they went underground here in Canada, which there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of work being done. A lot of journeys happening every weekend in every city in the country. Uh, just underground, it's quiet. If you don't know about it, you have to kind of know somebody that's in that circle. And then all of a sudden you find out how much is going on. And those conversations really are just showing spread. up everywhere. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, 
What are you seeing from, and maybe we're getting into a different realm, but I'm just thinking about accessibility. I've had some, I think accessibility from a cost perspective, there's knowing it exists. And I think about the ketamine clinics, I've, I've, I've had a chance to chat with a couple uh, around town. The cost can be very prohibitive for people, like yep. a couple grand, 2,500 bucks. And I appreciate their process and you know they're following the, the letter of the law to a certain extent, to, to over, to not understate it, but they're following process. They've got nurses mm -hmm. on site, they've got, uh, they've got uh, medical doctors, They've got integration pre and post, but it's very pricey. And I think, I feel mm -hmm. that kind of puts it almost in this level of you can only access it if you've got money, but there's, there's no barrier to mental health challenges, whether or how, you know, socioeconomically positioned you are kind of, what are your, are you seeing that maybe being different with things like psilocybin? I'm curious just what your views are of a couple of years from now, is this going to be for the wealthy or are we creating a model where it's accessible to everybody? Uh -huh, yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges for the whole yeah. industry. You you put the finger on the biggest the biggest pain point, um, because the model's coming out now with clinics. It's a wealthy game. It's for people with big bucks. Uh, psilocybin, you're talking like north of 10k for a treatment protocol. Oh um, wow, really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's it's Ooh, crazy. Okay. Yeah, like that the, is you. You definitely models. are. You're nailing a very like a very small percentage of the population yeah. at that point. And so we're looking at with even with mm. our trials, experimenting with and honing in the concept of group therapy. And I believe that's where it's going to become accessible. Mm. And if if indigenous circles can adopt that kind of way of doing medicine, they're not doing anything new. They're just adding a psychedelic to what they already do in circle all the time. <laughs> and so the 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 power of circle is medicine itself. And then if you can bring in intentional guides that understand both how that can work in the dynamic of a group of people and understand the medicine, all of a sudden you've dropped your cost. Just do the math. You've got 20 people in a room instead of one, right? And so you can then divide that by what does it cost for the sitter's time, therapist at 200 bucks an hour, whatever, one person, eight hour a day. That's a lot of money. And when you, especially you have a two, two sitter model, you're talking $3,200 just to pay your therapist for their time. And so it really does rack up quickly. But when you've got a group of 20 people and you divide that around the circle, all of a sudden it becomes a very different offering. And so our therapy or our training trial is designed around that model because we can't afford to do this one-on-one. -on -one. There's no way we could put 500 people or charge them what it costs us to do that kind of a model. So that's where I believe the accessibility yeah. is going to come to, to play. I think it's very interesting just, you know, follow the money what's the hero in that situation? It's the sitter, it's the therapist, it's the person that's, because this is a drug that costs dollars, not even yes. tens of dollars, not hundreds no. of dollars, Five bucks. dollars, yeah. <laughs> five bucks. Or but the value, the value the is the individual that's there to help mm -hmm. you through. And I think it's really, uh, to me, that shows a powerful example of like the substance itself is the, is, is the catalyst, that person that helps you or catalyst. I maybe that's not the right word, but I just love it. Like it's five bucks, yeah. but the value that's created is who's there with you to help take you through, which really shows the value of where we need to put our focus on this model, which I love with, is to bring it right back to what you guys are doing with, with education. Like what's going to be the real game changer here? It's not the $5 gram of mushrooms. No, no, it's how But it's man, used. that certainly gets you in the right same frame of mind though. <laughs> 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 to, uh, and that's interesting. I was chatting with, well, a mutual friend, I think who introduced us, Murray Rogers. And we had yeah. a couple of really good episodes yeah. about his journey through the psychedelic CEO and then also through the yeah. business of psychedelics and his views on it. And if you hadn't listened to the episode, go check it out. We raised a great, great guy. And, but his story he's, he's about going board, to Rhythmia. So, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think the world afternoon. of him. Yeah. Oh, please give him my regards. I think I've got no, dinner we'll with him it. next week, actually. He's yeah. a great guy. Him and I hit it off. It's hard to meet. It's hard to meet him and not hit it off. He's such a good dude. Yeah. 
but his story about going down for the first time, not knowing what he's getting into, going to Rhythmia, I think in the room with 70 of your closest friends doing his, you know, <laughs> plant medicine experience. That sounds crazy on so many, on like on so many, I say crazy is just a loose term, but it sounds intense and next level on every level I could possibly imagine because yeah. I mentally put myself in that room going like, wow, that would be talking about like capitalizing a group environment and still paying, paying big money to go down there. Those, that's not a cheap Yeah, adventure. I'm not sure I could be part of holding that big of a space for that many people. I've heard the 70 people in the room, he said, yeah, up to a hundred. Yeah. And wow. that just feels really, really like a lot of energy to me, <laughs> especially ayahuasca. Like that is, that is yeah, yeah, yes. for the feds. Like that's heavy, heavy work. Yeah. Yeah. No, there is, um, it's a volatile environment for a few mm -hmm. hours later from what I've, I've not done down, down that road. Something about it just has never drawn me in after yeah. being exposed to a boga and five MEO and some of the other, they're all unique in their way. Mm -hmm. They're all intense experiences, but ayahuasca, I think holds a place. I have a healthy fear and respect of what that might be like <laughs> yeah. from very, from friends I trust who've said like, you should have a healthy fear and respect for mm -hmm. the journey that it might take you on. But yeah. the learnings and what comes out of it, you know, Murray's story is, is, is phenomenal. Yeah. A psychedelic CEO, Google it. If you're listening to us, Jack, going, who's this guy they're talking about? It's a great book. I've, I've powered through that book in a couple of days. That was a good, yeah. that was a good read. I met him and he literally dropped it off on my, uh, on my front doorstep that day. And I think I had it read by the following like Wednesday or something. It was, it was, yeah. it was, a, it was a good read. Uh, for yourself, how many, what, just maybe back to the business. <laughs> this is quite a roller coaster of conversation, Harry David. Yeah, Thank you for just going on the journey with me. Yeah. Yes, it is. Where's it going to go? I don't know. We'll see what happens next. From business model, you guys have a board, you've got investors, you're now, you know, like you've said very respectfully, you've built a model that's sustainable. It's maybe not the model mm -hmm. you aimed for, but it's working and it's going to get you, it's going to kind of fill mm -hmm. the gap, but also build this massive community around you, which I think is phenomenal. As a business it's almost you know build the uh, build the audience for that future of you know or build the customer mm -hmm. base for the future of where you're going what's the business look like and for people that are curious about this space but have also seen the exodus and going oh what's going on is this financially viable mm -hmm. what would you say kind of put it out there as the business model yeah for us it's uh, still sticking to education and really focusing yeah. on that providing high quality education bringing in really good teachers from around north america that have been in this stuff for decades and have a healthy respect for the medicine um, and helping disseminate really good knowledge and experiential work. And then in that process, what it's done is opened us up, like we talked earlier about this DIN number, the drug identification number, and getting this to accessibility where it's not just in clinical trials. We need to get past clinical trials. And so the business model is once that happens, then we go back to offering retreat center options uh, okay. for people to come. And Probably my crystal ball in what I'm seeing and hearing mm -hmm. is that with this community that we're working with, with therapists and treatment, uh, people in all manner of professional frontline work, um, I, I see us as Atma really becoming a support for that community, where even in our retreat models, there's going to be options for therapists to get away and have medicine journeys for their own personal growth and healing mm -hmm. um, and really become a like the, the place therapists feel like they can get all the support they need and the information and the new technology stuff that's coming out. Maybe there's a new 2CB we talked about. All mm -hmm. of a sudden that becomes legalized for use of, for some specific area of mental health or couples therapy, who knows? So Wasn't MDMA, wasn't that one of its original uses was in couples therapy if you go way, way back? Or there's, I think well, I read that story somewhere along the way. <laughs> and 2CB was originally marketed as an aphrodisiac. So it was- uh, not, not 
not untrue, but anyways, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Again, I keep coming back to it. But yeah, so as, we do. as we these do. things come in, that we will be the place <laughs> that people can come back to and say, oh, there's that piece on 2CB. They just did another a course on it, or there's an offer, option for me to really learn about how to implement that into my practice. And communities of support, communities of accountability, where they can go in and say, you know what, I just had this experience and it was really disastrous. I think I did the wrong thing. What do you think? And how to hone your skills as a psychedelic assistant therapist because it's not it's it's living on the tip of the of the arrow uh in terms of therapy it, it is risky and things can happen and it's going to happen and so as long as we are really being accountable with each other it's really important for that and so that's the kind of infrastructure even in our online program in our training that they're connected with other therapists that they get this community of practice where they feel supported even beyond us, that they have these people they can go to and go, you know what, what would you do with this situation? Or what medicine would you use for this person? Or how how do I handle this integration piece? It's just not seeming to be working. And there's these people they can go back to uh, over and over and, and find support. I'm, I'm curious because I, I, I don't, uh, I love it. It makes so much sense to me to hear you just to lay, to lay it out. Um, if I'm in the therapist community, does my association or my school or my, my, my governing body, is there a lot of energy and, and focus right now put on supporting them as individuals? What I heard out of all that you said that I resonated with was the one is like, hey, what I did hear that sounds different. And also maybe it's because I don't know. Like I do plead, I plead ignorance on the show all the time. That's how I, that's how I learn things. Pretend I don't know. It's, it's not hard. Um, that individual support, like day in, day out, working with people to help improve their lives and battle with some and battle with them in the trenches with them and the challenges that they're having the feeling or the story I heard you talk about was the amount of support that those individuals need or require the opportunity for them to go on a retreat and, and have their own experiences to grow themselves as individuals and maybe be better equipped to deal with so much of what they see and deal with. Is that a gap also in itself right now, or am I just not informed about that at all? Yeah, we did a survey with therapists uh, just out right now. It's still getting uh, results in, but uh, the first hundred came in and a hundred percent of the responders said having a community of practice would really benefit them in their work. hundred percent. And all the other questions, it was kind of mixed answers. Many, like we did some stuff, are you burnt out? Are you overworking? Do you have too many clients? Another thing that came out is that many of them are putting in too many hours and none of them or very few of them said they've ever had to turn a client away or they have turned a client away, which says this is a very compassionate group of people that just have a hard time saying no. And so their their support systems just really need to be beefed up. And many people we've talked to anecdotally, uh, very feeling alone, like they're just, they're out there, they're doing this work and some finding this community of practice going, finally, I can talk about these things to somebody that understands. And it's, it's been really rewarding. Uh, so yes, uh, it is a need, and especially when it gets into psychedelic assisted therapy, where talk therapy, you've got your hour and you move on, you get your break, you take another hour. And so in a psychedelic session, you're talking about a day, like the guys in the trials at New York University said they get up early, they go set the room, they get everything ready, all the paperwork and the rigor with the trial added to that. But then you've got six, eight, sometimes 10 hours from a person going through ingestion all the way through complete able to get back to their home. That's really stressful. And so uh, some therapists, they're going to take this on thinking they can put through one a day and do five a week. Uh, no, that's going to be yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and all so the different. The I like what you said. There's there's logistics. There's showing up. There's like it's a very left brain, right brain whole. Like as a practitioner, you need to be good at all the things, and that can be very mm -hmm. exhausting because you're going to be doing things that are outside or stretching outside your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, and but to your point, if you build a big infrastructure around it, then it escalates the cost to the point that it becomes a barrier of like, oh, you've got your 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 induction the person who in, it brings you in and does all the paperwork, and then you've got the person who sits with you and the person. Then all of a sudden, it's ten grand. Like you said, yeah. very, I could see how to get there like literally yeah. all, all, instantaneously. What I feel like it's yeah. going to come down to is what we're doing in the underground. It's like the old story of the guy sitting on the dock fishing and the guy comes along and says, why don't you build this big business and create all this <laughs> stuff so you could relax more and be with your family? He says, why? I just catch three fish in the morning. I go hang out with my family. I think that's what we're getting to is psychedelics. It's a great. I love it. We're love creating it. <laughs> all these systems and it's in the end, it's going to come down to a friend sitting with a friend, helping them through these processes with the medicines. Uh, what it looks like exactly, like... We don't really know, but we're exploring all these models to try to get back to, mm. back to nature, really, back to connecting. What an excellent! We're going to put a bow right on, right on that. There's your mic drop moment, David. That was awesome. Well, thank you so much for your conversation. I love the work that you're doing. I've, I know of you guys. I've heard of you. I've known Vu up and on for years. So always knew you guys from a distance. So good to actually just sit down and have a really yeah. good, old-fashioned conversation about what you're doing. I'm a huge proponent of it, and I hope this at least gets it on people's radar. And the curiosity out there right now is at an all-time high, I think, which is fantastic. Yeah. But it's like, where do I go now? So hopefully, yeah. people this gives them an opportunity to kind of maybe think about this conversation differently. And talk to their coach, their therapist, find out if they're involved and, you know, kind yeah. of push it that way. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Talk to your doctors if they don't know about it, especially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like yes. I, I had a fascinating conversation with my doctor. Dead. No, don't do it. Drugs, bad, all the things, right? Yeah. yeah that course. was four years ago. And then I had another conversation with her just last month and she's, what do you do again? That's so fascinating. I'm seeing the need for this. Tell oh, me more. So interesting. I love Same it. Same doctor four years later. Yeah. That, it, there's a lot of optimism, I think. In it, yeah. you know, so at, atmajourney.com, A-T-M-A -A journey.com. Check it out. You guys have a great website. You have lots of information. Any other resources or anything that you would throw out there that, that you love is like, hey, you want to learn more? Here's some other paths aside aside from your website. Yeah. Um, Netflix, How to Change Your Mind. The <laughs> yes, series, really, so honestly. Good. It is so good. It, it, for newbies, like for people that are yeah. really into this work, you can pick it apart and have your opinions about different things, whatever. It of doesn't course, matter. Yeah. But for people that are new, and if, if you're somebody that really is passionate about this and you want to tell your dad about it or whatever yes. have them watch the series there's one in psilocybin lsd mdma and then i think mescaline uh four different one hours and just really well done well produced easy to listen to uh that's really cool um and i mean the rabbit hole you talked about is <laughs> deep now on youtube or anywhere online psychedelic research there's hundreds of trials clinicaltrials.gov is a website that lists all the trials mm. happening in the world cool. and there's ironically i think last i checked there was more lsd trials than psilocybin which i find fascinating so things like that you just if you're curious about these things what's going on in the world of trials and research that's a great place to see what's going on um Communities, there's uh, societies all over and almost every city has some kind of a group that meets and talks and supports each other. And uh, you'll find a very caring, loving group of people that when you find psychedelic communities, it really is an amazing place. I've had a few people say to me that, you know, Calgary is on the leading edge of psychedelic research from a Canadian perspective. Like just something I didn't, they said it to me, I've heard it a couple of times and I, I love it. I just didn't know that or I'd never heard that. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that a factor with some of the things that are going on here? Just even yeah. like as a city? Yeah. I had a psychedelic therapist in Vancouver 
that he's like, I need to move to Calgary. It's like, yes, you do. BC's <laughs> a, a lot of leading edge stuff in terms of the more indigenous and the more grassroots yeah. and the more of the people kind of stuff. Like they opened up the stores, the first selling mushrooms on the streets in Vancouver. They're the first one cannabis illegal still. And they were selling cannabis on the street yeah. in a store. Like, so those kinds of things, they do lead the way, but like UFC has a lot of work happening with psychedelics. There's a group that's doing some research and chemical development, uh, Cygen in town, uh, mm -hmm. newly savvy mind bloom, Atma, like there's a number of our, our companies and we're starting to work together much more on things like the Alberta government regulation changes and trying to really band together and become an identifiable quote unquote industry that can be taken seriously as a as a movement. So yeah, Alberta's got stuff going on. I'm it's just one of those things. If you don't know about it, it yeah. it's easy to not think it exists. But I'm yeah. something. I think it's so unique, and I, I love it because it makes people go, "What, really? Huh?" It, it takes people yeah. back a little bit, which I like. Which I like getting a little shock value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David, loved our conversation today. Thanks so much for your time. We put it. That Likewise. was a good shift. We put it in an hour. That went by like 20 minutes. That was awesome. Yeah, Thank really you, my did. friend. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. 